All right, so we're week three in the book of Galatians. If you would turn to the book of Galatians, we're going to be beginning chapter two today. And if you've missed the first couple Sundays, I would encourage you to go online at our website and, and get caught back up so that you can experience the entire series from, from the beginning, starting with chapter one, because, because it really is going to build on itself as we go through, uh, as we go through the book and, and this letter that Paul wrote to the people in Galatia. Now, as ham sandwiches go, this ham sandwich was perfection. A thick slab of ham, a fresh, crisp bun, uh, crisp lettuce, and plenty of expensive light brown gourmet mustard. Uh, the, the, the corners of my jaws were aching in anticipation. I carried it to the picnic table, and I picked it up with both hands, but just as I was about to, to take a bite, my wife stopped at my side and said, hold Johnny, who is our six-week-old son, while I get my sandwich. I had him balanced between my left elbow and my shoulder, and I was reaching again to pick up my ham sandwich when I noticed a streak of mustard on my fingers. Now, I love mustard, and I had no napkin, so I licked it off. It was not mustard! No man ever put a baby down faster. It was the first and only time I have sprinted with my tongue protruding with a washcloth in each hand. I did sort of a routine shoeshine guys do, only I did it on my tongue. Later, my wife said, now you know why they call that mustard poupon. <clears throat> now, that didn't happen to me, um, or I wouldn't have had to kind of read it as I told it. But isn't it important for us to know what things really are? I mean, it's not just what they look like, or it's not just what people think they are. It's what they truly and really are. And we need to know, we need to know truth. Um, and that is what we're finding in Galatians. That's what Paul is explaining to us. And this is foundational. I mean, this is how freedom works. It's, it's the basics. And it doesn't matter how sincere someone is, if they're putting their trust in something that's not real, it isn't going to work. Um, I, I heard someone once say, wouldn't it be better to have a little faith in very thick ice than a lot of faith in really thin ice? You know, we need to know what's true and what's real. Uh, someone was sharing with me just yesterday a belief system that a friend of theirs has. And, and this belief system says that there is a God, although it's more like a superpower or a higher power and uh, kind of a creator. And, and then there's a spirit who's kind of among us down here. But when it came to Jesus, this person's understanding of who Jesus was is, is we actually, um, as we interact with this belief system, we actually become Jesus ourselves. We, we, we become a God. And... and and this person got their understanding of this from a book that an author had written. And, and this person is trying to, to figure out, how do I talk to them about, about what the truth is? Um, th about what's real? And, and I, I've been thinking about that, and I thought, you know, what, what, you really, what we really need to be able to say to people is, first of all, why do you, why do you believe that what you read in that book is the truth? Who is this author and, and where does he get his information? Where is his authority to tell you that this is the truth? I mean, help me understand. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And then in that conversation, and any of us can have those conversations, then in the midst of that conversation, we can say, well, um, okay, I kind of understand where you're coming from. Could, could, I, could I tell you who I know Jesus to be? 
And could I explain to you how I know that and why I think that this is the truth? Because there are many ideas out there as far as what truth is. And, and there are many ideas, one specifically, that's trying to work its way into the church. And Paul is speaking against that right here. Let's read our passage for the day. Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As far as those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to be circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They argued that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So the first thing this morning that we see in this chapter is that Paul is making his way to Jerusalem. He's going on a fact-finding mission. Paul is going on a fact-finding mission to Jerusalem. He's, he's returning to Jerusalem to iron out some misconceptions that have been working their way in to Christianity. Um, now, it, it says that it's been 14 years, and, and most uh, commentators think that that was from his conversion. So, uh, for 14 years, he, uh, since his conversion, after 14 years, he goes to Jerusalem. Now, during 11 of those years, because we know that three of those years he spent in Arabia getting his message from God, then for 15 days he went to Jerusalem, hung out with a couple of the apostles for 15 days, and then he goes out for 11 years, and, and he's on mission. He's preaching and teaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone he comes into contact with. He's going from region to region, and he's demonstrating the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles. And there are many people coming to Christ. In fact, he brings one of them with him, Titus, when he goes to Jerusalem. And there are changes that are taking place in these people's lives. And these changes are amazing. Uh, I, I was talking to someone yesterday, and he was talking about, and I don't know how many years ago, but years ago, he and his wife got a divorce. And when they first got a divorce, he said he envisioned his relationship with his wife as a pie. And, and that pie was all the problems that they had in their relationship. And he said, the slice of pie that he felt that he had at that time was about this big. And all the rest of the responsibility for the demise of his relationship with his wife was his wife. Since then, he's come to Christ. And since then, he told me yesterday, he said, Pastor Dave, it's amazing. He said, it's amazing how much bigger the responsibility in, of that marriage not succeeding how, how much more it has become, my, my, my piece of pie has gotten bigger. Now, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, that's not something that he would just come up, up on his own. That's something that God literally would have to teach him. Because you know yourself, I know myself, 
Um, I'm not looking for ways to gain more responsibility in situations that, that I've been a part of. I'm not in and of my selfish human self. That, that's the work of the Spirit in, in his life. That's the work of the Spirit in all of our lives. And, and the same incredible thing happened to Paul. Paul was killing Christians. And now he's one of them. I mean, that's not something that he would wake up one morning and say, ah, you know what, I think I'm done killing Christians. I think I'm going to be one. That just doesn't happen. There was a definite experience. And, and it was with Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Paul... Uh, is going to Jerusalem, he says in verse 2, I went in response to a revelation. And Paul continues all through his life to be directed by God. And he he continues through his life to obey God. In this case, God said, you know what, Paul, you need to go to Jerusalem and you need to take care of this. And so Paul obeyed and he went to Jerusalem. Now now there's one other little rabbit trail that I want to get on this morning before I continue in through the notes. And it's this. Um, When we're having a conversation with someone, and, and we can all have this conversation. Uh, every one of us can have this conversation with someone. Um, and they ask us, why should I believe what you say over what someone else says? Um, l- let me just use Joseph Smith as an example. Why should I believe what you say and what your Bible says over what Joseph Smith says? Because Joseph Smith says that he had a vision. He saw an angel. He, he received a revelation. He got a special revelation and he went out and and he found these these golden plates and and they explained everything and then he wrote it and he put it in a book and he said, here it is. And hundreds of thousands of people over the course of a hundred years have believed that what he said was true. And that is a different gospel. Why, Why would we believe what we believe over what he says, why does he have the corner on the gospel religious market? Well, I, it, it's what Paul taught us in chapter 1. Um, and again, if you, miss, if you miss those messages, go, go back and listen to them. Because Paul, Paul describes where his authority comes from. Um, he, he explains the vision that he had. But, but not only that, but, but he knows the men and talked with them. And he sits with them here today who walked with Jesus and ate with Jesus, watched Jesus die on a cross, and then saw Him live later. Eyewitnesses. There are eyewitnesses. A lot of these other philosophies and religions, they, there isn't a lot. It's just like, well, you know what? I received this. There, there's not a lot of historical truth to what they say. There aren't artifacts to back up the people groups that they claim were, were in existence in their book. It's not there. It's not there. It, it is here. And, and, and it can be backed up with history and, and, and with, with truth. And, and we need to remember that. Uh, in Paul's day, John Scott says that this matter that, that Paul is confronting here is of great importance even to us today because there are people working their way into our churches um, trying to, to, to lead the church astray from, from the actual truth that God has given us. It's important for us to stay on track. Um, they, they tell us that we don't need to pay much attention to Paul's writings. You know, he was just a man. You know, what, what does he really have to say? Well, Paul has explained that to us. I am convinced. Uh, they forget or deny that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, uniquely called, commissioned, authorized, and inspired to teach in his name. 
Um, they ignore Paul's own claims in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, that he derived his gospel not from men, but from Jesus Christ. That's the amazing thing. He spent three years in Arabia. He gets this revelation. He, he isn't hanging out with any other leaders, with any other beliefs. He comes back, and it is exactly the same as the apostles that were with Jesus who are teaching in Jerusalem. And we're going to see that today. We're going to see that today. Um, in Paul's day, like in our day, though it was much simpler in his time, word was spreading of a, of a division. And this is actually the, the third bullet point in, in uh, point number one. Word was spreading of a division. Um, there's been a rumor spreading in the throughout the communities of Jerusalem and, uh, and in, in the greater Gentile world. And this, re this rumor involves a lie that says... Uh, Paul, what you're teaching, this gospel that you're teaching, is different than what Peter and the, and the apostles of Jesus are teaching in Jerusalem. They're different. They're two gospels. It's your gospel and their gospel. And Paul is going to, to meet and come to a consensus here. Look at the end of verse 2. The end of verse 2, it says, Meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Now, Paul's not going to say, hey, are we on the same page? Is this the same? Or, can you guys affirm to me that what I'm preaching is the truth? That's not what Paul was going there to, to determine. He's going there to say, look, this is what I'm preaching. This is the truth. Whatever comes from that meeting is coming from that meeting. But that verse right there that says, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. If this... If this um, rumor that there's this division continues, it's going to tear down a lot of the foundation that Paul's already set, all the teaching that Paul's already done in this greater area. And he wants to make sure that all of the running and hard work that he did was not in vain. So he meets with James and Cephas, who is Peter and John. And these three men were, the, were of the original twelve. They were with Jesus. They walked with him. They talked with him. They ate with him. They saw him die. They saw him alive afterwards. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus himself. And they are held high by everyone in the community. They are esteemed as pillars. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be awesome to be esteemed as a pillar? To be known as someone who, who knew the truth and wasn't afraid to, to shy away from it and was teaching it. They were esteemed as pillars by everyone in the community. So everyone holds them up as they, they're teaching the truth. This is what it is. They're trust, trustworthy. They're honest. Um, now, again, I want to remind us this morning that our salvation comes from our belief that Jesus, the Messiah, God with us, has come to rescue us. If we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that we will be saved. Now, some of you are thinking, Pastor Dave, you said that last week. And you said that the week before. I guess I'm going to say it until we get it. Because it is the foundation of how freedom works. Um, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That's Rome, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Um, and verse 12, Paul goes on to say this, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's not saying everyone that calls on the name of the Lord and does this or and does this will be saved. It's everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul is on this 
fact-finding mission. And it's important because there's a division that's spreading. And the division is occurring because the Judaizers are hard at work. Um, it's necessary because of these false believers. Now, verse 4, This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Now, those, anytime the word infiltrate and spy and your name is attached at the end of it, it's not so much a positive thing. Um, these people are intentionally, with evil intent, doing what they're doing to oppose Paul. They weren't simply making a mistake with their understanding of the Gospel. They had infiltrated the church. There are some in our culture today that are doing that. They're, they're, they're purposely trying to undermine the work of others. Rick Warren is constantly having articles read about him, blogs posted about him, about how evil of a person he is. And I think they're just jealous. Because God is using him in an amazing way in the world. People are coming to Christ. But there are people bashing him. They're trying to undermine. And there are people who go on the internet and search Rick Warren. And if one of these websites happens to be at the top of the list, they read that, they take it as truth, and right there, exactly the same thing that's happening in Paul's day occurs. We need to make sure that we know who, who, we, who we are listening to. Now, there are some in our culture who are just deceived. I mean, they just don't, they don't have a clear understanding and they just don't know. And, and we need to, to have mercy and grace when we are talking to folks like that. Um, but that isn't the case here. Um, the bane of Paul's life and ministry was this insidious activity of false teachers. Wherever he went, they dogged his footsteps. He would plant the gospel in a town or a region and they would catch wind of it and they would just kind of move right on in and begin teaching this other again. Perverting the gospel. Discrediting Paul's message. The third interesting part of this fact-finding mission to Jerusalem that, that I find is the fact that Paul took Barnabas and Titus with him. Um, he could have gone by himself, uh, but he didn't. He took Barnabas and Titus with him. Now, Barnabas is a Jew, uh, which is interesting because Barnabas is sold out to Paul's ministry and has been a part of Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. Uh, so here you have Paul and, and a Jew helping him go to the Gentiles. But Titus, on the other hand, Titus was a Greek. Titus was a Greek. That is, he was an uncircumcised Gentile. And Paul is bringing him along with him to Jerusalem to, to talk about this gospel that he's teaching. Titus was himself a product of the very Gentile mission, which was, is now in dispute and which the Judaizers are challenging. And Paul brings him with him. Now see, Paul sees this issue very clearly. It, it, I don't think Paul thinks it's necessarily an, an, a question of circumcision or uncircumcision or, or Gentile customs versus Jewish customs, but it's a matter of the importance of the basic truth of the gospel, namely the Christian freedom, Christian freedom versus bondage. You see, as Christians, we've been set free from the law. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. Um, I have come to set you free. Um, and, and then there's this sense that our acceptance before God depends entirely upon God's grace in the death of Jesus Christ. At Vacation Bible School, the first day, uh, we talked about Noah. Noah and the ark. And, and how 
all of humanity, and we talked about it about six weeks ago, all of humanity had become evil, but there was this man and his family by the name of Noah. And, and it says that Noah was a righteous man, yes. He, he had a good attitude towards God. And, and I'm just wondering, is it possible that every other human being on the planet thought differently than, than Noah? I, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure I can answer that question. But here's the question that I can answer. And it's this. Or here's what I do want to answer. It says in Genesis chapter 6 that God found, that, that Noah found favor in God's eyes. Noah found favor in God's eyes. What, what does that mean, favor? Favor, it means grace. God extended His grace to Noah and his family. And God, through Jesus Christ, extends His grace to you and I. We don't deserve it. We can't, we can't own it. We can't live it. We can't make it happen. It's extended to us as a free gift. It's only by the grace of God. And, and that's so much of Paul's understanding. Paul was doing his own thing. Paul was killing Christians. And God extended his favor to Paul, to Saul, changed his life. And now he is preaching and teaching the good news of the gospel as a free man. These Judaizers, they want to bring in all of these rules and all of these extra things. Paul's saying, no, that's not it. That's not the gospel. So Titus here, I don't know if Paul would have referred to him as a guinea pig or... I think Titus is a test case for what he's presenting. Um, it is true that he was an uncircumcised Gentile, but he was a converted Christian. Having believed in Jesus, he had been accepted by God in Christ. And that, Paul said, is enough. That's enough. Nothing further was necessary for his salvation. And what we find is that the counsel that Peter and James and John, they agree. They say, you know what? You're right. That is, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Um, and this is later confirmed by the council of Jerusalem. Uh, if you were to go to Acts chapter 15, and I, maybe you should write that in your notes and read that this week, that tells that tells that account of how that conversation went and what they, de what they decided, what they determined, right in and there. Um, the Judaizers say that Paul's teaching one gospel and Peter and the rest are teaching another. So what is it? So what is it? Is it one gospel or is it just, you know, just believe this one and if you believe this one sincerely, you're okay. Um, and, and these people over here can believe this one sincerely and they're okay. So um, is there more than one gospel? Point number two in your notes. Another way I like to think about it is this. Are there multiple ways to get to heaven? Are there many ways? People ask these questions. People try to find answers to these questions. Well, first of all, we see, as Paul is presenting his message to the apostles, that his message was right. It says, Paul laid before the Jerusalem apostles the gospel that he was preaching to the Gentiles. And he says he did it lest somehow I should be running or had run in vain. I don't, I don't think Paul had any doubts about his mission. He, he's making sure that his ministry, past and present, maintains its integrity. So he lays it all out there before the Jerusalem apostles. And the conclusion that they all come to is that there is, in fact, only one gospel. There is one truth here. 
they aren't preaching different messages, but the same one. There is only one gospel. And, and again, in order that we are all clear, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-11 through 11 up here on the screen. Now, this is a passage that any one of us in a conversation with anybody that has questions about Christianity could go to and say, hey, you know what? Um, there's a place in the Bible that we could go to, and this explains, this explains it clearly. This is exactly what Paul was teaching all throughout his missionary trips. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, He appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. A couple of important words there. Um, it says some have fallen asleep, but most of them are still there. Um, as Paul is teaching this, as they are teaching this, if, if it weren't true, people could confront it and say, hey, hey that's, that's not right. There are people alive who have, who have seen Jesus. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I was killing Christians. Of all people, I don't deserve to have the grace of God bestowed on me as I have. But, verse 10, by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. You're looking at it right now. I'm not killing you. I'm teaching you about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, I worked harder than all of them, he says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And Jesus' words Himself in John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, I am the way and the truth of the life and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If you really know Me, you will know My Father as well from now on. You do know Him and have seen Him. That's exactly what Paul is teaching. That's exactly what Peter and John and James are teaching. Jesus, Jesus Himself taught it. Jesus accomplished it. And then Jesus offers it to us. One gospel, one way. Paul's message was right. Only one gospel. It's the same gospel, but different mission fields. Okay, verse 9, Paul says, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They're all like, you know what? We're on the same team. We are on the same team. Uh, an, an interesting illustration of this, I think. They extend the right hand of fellowship, it says. Uh, in, in Goshen County, there aren't enough students in each school to play soccer to where each school can have a soccer team. So there's one soccer team in Torrington. And students from other schools, Lingle and Southeast, go, go to Torrington to play soccer. Some of you are in this room. You play soccer. And there's nothing that warms... Now, Look, I like to not like other teams. Okay? I mean, I'm all about the competition thing. And, and growing up, it was more of a kind of a cutthroat thing instead of a when you're on the court, you know, you're, you're opponents. And when you're off the court, you can be friends. It was not that way when I grew up. 
And, and it's, it's not that way for some. But, but there is nothing that, that warms my heart more than to see students who, ha- who are in different schools, who are, who are prideful about their own school, come together under the banner of another school and be a team together. And that's what these guys are doing. Because it's the same mission. The goal is to win the game. And, and if you can have others who have other gifts from other places, what, what an incredible thing. That's what's happening here. And, and in the end it says that um, there's this right hand of fellowship. They shook on it. There was this, you know what, yes. I guess in, in, in our, today it would be they would all put their hands in the middle and it would be, alright, Jesus on three or the gospel on three. The one gospel on three. That's, that's what they did. They accepted Paul and Titus and Barnabas as partners and they shook on it. So what does this mean in our lives today? Well, first of all, it means that the truth of the gospel is one and it's unchanging. Our God is the same today as He always has been and will be forever. His mission hasn't changed. His message hasn't changed. His act of redemption hasn't changed. There is only one gospel. And now we can see that the whole New Testament, Peter's writings, John's writings, James's writings, it's all the same gospel. Now there are people in, in theological circles today who would like to say that Paul had his gospel and Peter had his gospel and John had his gospel. In fact, they come up with fancy words for that and they, they say that um, Paul's gospel is Pauline and then you've got... Petrine gospel over here, and you've got Johannine gospel. I don't know why they do that, but um, why don't you just say John's gospel? Um, but that's what they, that some people try to do. But what we realize here in this passage this morning is that it's the same. It's the same gospel. Now, the difference is that Paul and, and those who are with him, they are preaching and teaching to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. Now, I don't know that much about how Greeks think, and I don't know that about how, uh, about how Jews think, but their cultures are different, so their approaches are different. Their message is the same, but their cultures are totally different, and so their methods are a little bit different. These guys are not contradicting one another at all. There are others who would say, who would like to say that, that James, the book of James, contradicts what Paul writes about grace. That James is all about works and, and Paul is all about grace. But if you hold those books side by side and you really look at the audience that they are, are uh, writing to and how they fit together, you will find that there is no contradiction. James believes it's grace too. But the, but, but the effect of God's grace in our life then becomes the works that we do. So despite these stylistic differences, there is only one gospel. A recognizable body of doctrine taught by the apostles of Jesus Christ preserved for us in the New Testament and it is still true today exactly as it was when it was written down 2,000 years ago. The gospel has not changed with the changing centuries. 
There is only one Christianity. There are not several different legitimate alternatives. Whether it is preached to young or old, to the East or to the West, to Jews or Gentiles, to cultured or uncultured, to scientists or non-scientists, Peter and Paul, though, had a, though they had a different commission, have the same message. So it's important for us to know the truth of the Gospel and that it's unchanging. It doesn't change. And second, the truth of the Gospel must be maintained. We have to fight for it. We have to hold on to its truth. Paul was determined to resist these Judaizers. He was even prepared, which we're going to see next week, to oppose Peter to his face when Peter's... um, Actions and conduct contradicted the Gospel. When it comes to the truth of the Gospel, we must not budge. We must not water it down. We must not forsake it. We must maintain the steadfastness that Paul did. Martin Luther, when referring to the Gospel, said, Now, as concerning faith, we ought to be invincible and more hard, if it might be, than the adamant stone. One gospel, one truth. It's it's important for us not only to know what we believe, but why we believe it's truth. And Paul continues in Galatians to give us incredible evidence that there is only one gospel. There was an evangelist. I heard him speak at a conference one time. And and, uh, he, he was talking about the flight that he was taking to get to this conference. And he was on the Red Eye Special. And he was a pretty well-known evangelist. And, uh, of course, he sat down in his seat and he's really looking forward to getting some sleep on this plane. And there's a person sitting next to him. And the guy turns to him and says, so what do you do? Wanting to strike up a conversation with him. Have you ever had someone like that on an airplane and you didn't want to? I've been on the opposite side. I've wanted to have a conversation. And they were just like, the whole time. Like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't know who you are. But he wanted his personal time, and this guy says, so what do you do? And so he said, oftentimes when somebody would want to talk to me and I wanted to shut them up, I would just tell them that I was an evangelist. And it would usually silence them. They wouldn't want to ask me any questions after that. But in this case, he said he was an evangelist. And and the guy says, oh yeah, you want to know what I believe? Of course, he's thinking, oh great. I really don't want to know what you believe right now. I'd really like to get some sleep. But the guy proceeded to say, you know, I believe that that getting to heaven is like getting to Philadelphia. There are many ways to get to heaven. Just like there are many... Some people get to Philadelphia by car. Some people get to Philadelphia by train. Some people can walk to Philadelphia. We're getting to Philadelphia by plane. Heaven's no different. There are many ways to get to heaven. Just like Philadelphia. He thought about that and he thought, you know, uh, I think that getting to heaven is more like landing the plane. He said, in preparation for landing the plane, that pilot is sitting in the cockpit. In fact, as he's approaching the the airport, he probably gets settled in his seat and he gets his feet in the right place on the pedals and he begins going down the checklist and, and he begins going through what needs to be done to land this plane. And he follows the checklist. He gets to the right altitude. And he gets the plane to the right speed. And then he lowers the landing gear. And 
he, he lowers the flaps just the right amount and he lines up the lights and makes sure one is red and one is white because if they're both red, you're dead. It's true. True statement. It's a great way to remember that little thing at the end of the runway. Um, and then he lands the plane. And, and he, he looks at the man and he says, you know what, I am so glad that that pilot isn't sitting in that front seat going, there's many ways to land this plane. I can do whatever I want, however I want to put this plane on the ground. I like to know the fact that he knows that there's one way. And there is. And you know what, us sitting here this morning, we have it. We have that one way and we have it right here. And all of the apostles agree. The gospel is one thing. There's one gospel. We may know it. We may believe it. May we proclaim it. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the changes that you make in people's lives. And, and Lord, that's something that people can't argue with. When they, they saw the difference in the changes that were in Paul's life, they, they couldn't argue with that. It was incredible. And just like the changes that are happening in our own lives because of you, Lord, there are many people in our communities, there are many people, maybe even in our families, at our work, at our school, that if they were to die today, they would spend an eternity in hell. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that, that this gospel message, it's clear. We can communicate it, and we can trust you to do the work in people's lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a heart for people like Paul. And Lord, I pray that as a church, that we, would, that we would continue to base what we believe on the truth and the authority of what You have given us in the Bible. And that we would not waver from that. That we would not feel guilty because someone says that we, don't, we must not love them because we don't believe the same way they do. Lord, may we speak the truth in love. And may people know and experience the incredible freedom of being a Christ follower to which we praise you in this last song. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to take up this morning's offering. And if you're our guest here, please let the plate pass on by. This is a time for those who call North Hills their home to support our ministry here and around the world. But I would invite everyone to drop those Connect cards from your uh, worship folder into the offering plate as, as it goes by. And would you stand your feet as we sing this last song of worship to our Lord?